Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Ladies and gentlemen, we may have some movement on the border issue that you and I have been talking about for some time. Not that the liberals want to talk about it, not that the liberals want to admit that something could be happening. No, they'd rather talk about their proposals for things like gender diversity on corporate boards. For me, I've been in too many boardrooms where uh, I'm the only minority. I've been in too many boardrooms where... Uh, It's all men. And that has to change. Oh, it has to change. It has to change. Well, what about the border? Let's talk about that. Um, We're hearing that the sound is off. Uh, Stephen, can you check the sound on the Facebook Live for me hitting uh, clips here? Um, You know, the uh, simple fact of the matter is that we have an awful border situation going on right now. We've got a situation where people are streaming across by the thousands, and the government's doing nothing. The government is doing nothing. That's been their action so far. Then today, what do we hear? We hear that they're actually looking at changing this. We hear that they're looking at changing it with the Americans to say that They want to fix the safe third country agreement. They want to fix it so that. uh, Okay, I'm just going to stop the Facebook live because I'm hearing that there are too many problems with the sound. Um, We're hearing that. What's going on is that the bureaucrats, not the politicians, but the bureaucrats have been calling for changes to the safe third country agreement since last September. This according to a couple of different media reports today. Ralph Goodell asked about that in the foyer of the House of Commons today. That would actually be counterproductive to get to Canada's interest. Well, that's his reaction to the uh, the Conservatives saying make the whole border an official border crossing, right? The Conservatives have said they want to apply the entire uh, the safe third country agreement to the entire border. And Goodale says, no, that's not good for Canada. That would actually be counterproductive to to Canada's interests. Okay, well, what about changing the agreement then? Because that's what essentially you and I have been calling for for some time now. Change the agreement so that if people are coming across at irregular border crossings, read illegal, that they're turned back if they're coming from the United States. Because right now we don't we don't accept refugees. We don't accept asylum seekers from the United States. They're in a safe country. There's no reason to be fleeing the United States. You're fine. Well, Goodale admits that there are exploratory talks going on. It's a discussion that we're having uh, with the Americans about uh, the various uh, techniques that, uh, that, that, that could be pursued on both sides of the border to, to ensure uh, security and integrity. Uh, We do know that the 
Trudeau liberals have asked that the Americans consider how they are offering up visas to people from places like Nigeria. Why? Because they know, as I've been telling you for some time, that people are coming into areas like upstate New York. They're flying into places like JFK and LaGuardia in New York State, then taking transportation of one sort or another to upstate New York immediately upon landing so that they can cross the border from New York State into Quebec, claim asylum in Canada. They know this is going on. And so people are getting uh, student visas and uh, tourism visas just to go to the United States from Saudi Arabia, from Nigeria, from other countries as well, so that they can then come into Canada, skip the border and skip the queue. These are economic migrants that don't want to wait in line. They have asked the Americans to review their visa processing. That's part of what Goodale means when he says they're looking at various ways. But while he admits there's exploratory talks, he says there's no formal talks to change the third country agreement. If and when that conversation matures into a, a, a specific uh, negotiation, we'll, uh, uh, we'll have further things to say about it. But this is very exploratory at the moment, scoping, uh, uh, scoping issues and, uh, and uh, potential solutions. Today in the House of Commons question period, Michelle Rempel, you hear her on this show many times. You'll hear her again on this show talking about this very issue because I don't think it's going away. We're putting up a permanent building at Roxham Road. We've got staff there 24-7 to deal with the influx. Michelle Rempel, the conservative immigration critic, got up and asked about these media reports, which quote, by the way, officials from the Department of Homeland Security in the United States is saying they are responding to Canadian proposals, but don't have an official response yet, but they're they're working on it. Rempel asked about those media reports. Uh, Today, the American Department of Homeland Security told Canadian media that they are considering Canadian proposals to amend the Safe Third Country Agreement. After a full year of Conservatives demanding that that's loophole that incents people to illegally enter Canada, while hundreds of thousands of others wait years to legally enter the country, we found out from the Americans that in spite of the minister stating on the record otherwise, that there were, quote, proposals on the table. What are those proposals? That seems like a pretty easy question, doesn't it? Seems like something the minister should be able to answer fairly easily. Do you think she got an answer? We continuously work with our American counterparts on all issues related to our common border, including discussions uh, related to the Safe Third Country Agreement. What I have also stated on the record numerous times is that there are no formal negotiations with respect to the Safe Third Country Agreement. What I find very rich is the party opposite talking about the border and about immigration processing. Yeah, well, because the liberals like to claim that Well, the conservatives just didn't get it done. The conservatives were mean on these issues. No, what the conservatives did was apply the rule of law to anyone coming in. They had a very rich and generous immigration and refugee program, one that even many conservative voters thought was too rich. And yet they continued to work on it. They continued to expand it. But when... 
they got reports like one I did several years ago on the state of the the refugee health program that showed that in some areas, the refugee health program gave far greater benefits than what you or I could get from our provincial health plans. They scaled that back. That's something the liberals keep throwing up in their face. Well, the liberals made it so that the refugee health care program is again richer than what you or I can get from our provincial counterparts. And we're supposed to say this is a good thing. You and I can't get certain procedures or certain drugs covered, but people that just show up, walk across Roxham Road, they're allowed to have that. And we're supposed to say, oh, goody. No, I think we expect a fair and equitable system. This is their constant defense. Here's what I'll tell you. It looks like at least officials within the immigration department are willing to work on this issue. And Justin Trudeau and the political masters in charge of them, including Ahmed Hussein, the immigration minister you heard there, they don't want this dealt with. They want this to continue. I have said for some time that this appears to be an issue where the liberals want to use this as a wedge issue for the next election and say that you are, if you are not 100% on board with illegal immigration, then you are some kind of right-wing kook, that you are a bigot, that you are not Canadian, that you don't ascribe to Canadian values. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they will continue to do. And they would rather spend tens of millions of your dollars, actually hundreds of millions, because Quebec asked for $146 million for last year alone. And this year, we're looking at uh, people coming across illegally in numbers three times greater. So they want to spend hundreds of millions of your dollars, including $173 million for extra processing, so that they can use it in an election to call you a bigot. I don't think that's where most Canadians are, regardless of which party you support. I think that there is a broad consensus in support of legal immigration in this country, in support of a legal, generous refugee program in this country, and that this is being used cynically by the liberals to try and make you turn out, to make you seem like some sort of bigot. They want to import the war over immigration that has divided America into this country, one of the few places where immigration has not been such a divisive issue. They want to use it as a divisive issue to ensure that they can win by using code words and slams and smears and their media friends to attack you in 2019. Let's hope you don't fall for it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Stick around. we got a great show lined up for you. An awful lot on the carbon tax including including Dr. Tim Ball just after 8 o'clock tonight, Chris Sims. You might remember her. She used to work here. Now she is the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Director for British Columbia. She's going to join us to talk about the BC carbon tax that we keep being told we need to emulate because it's revenue neutral. She says, not quite. We'll talk to her. We'll also hear about Kathleen Wynne. Her attacks on Doug Ford today, Jim Watson running for mayor once again, this time so far unopposed. Is anyone going to take on Jim? We'll talk about all of that tonight. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Story number one, we could have a breakthrough when it comes to the issue of the border. The border crisis has been going on for over a year now. It seems that bureaucrats at least have been working on the issue since September with American their American counterparts. The Department of Homeland Security confirming today to Canadian media that they are looking at Canadian proposals to amend the Safe Third Country Agreement to cover non-regular border crossing points, like Roxham Road, where about 18,000 people crossed illegally into the country this year. This would allow Canadian officials to turn them back to the United States and tell them to seek refugee status there. Ralph Goodale, the public safety minister, admitting that exploratory, if not formal, talks we're taking place with the Americans. It's a discussion that we're having uh, with the Americans about uh, the various uh, techniques that, uh, that 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 could be pursued on both sides of the border to to ensure uh, security and integrity. Now, the uh, the Conservatives have been calling for the entire border to be put under the Safe Third Country Agreement. Something that Goodale says is not in Canada's interest. I don't know, admitting 60,000 people this year illegally will be? I don't see how. Story number two, a day after telling grade 7 and 8 students here in Ottawa's East End that if they don't vote for Kathleen Wynne, well, Doug Ford will just savage French language education, the Premier is now out there saying that mm, if you don't, um, if you don't actually vote for her, well, Doug Ford may not, may not follow through on expansions to LRT if he becomes premier. We cannot guarantee what another government would do. And, and what I can tell you is that on infrastructure, I have no idea what firm commitments Doug Ford has made. Well, two weeks ago on CFRA's News and Views with Rob Snow, Ford said he was clear on this. Are you committed to keeping that funding in place for phase two of light rail in Ottawa, sir? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. 100%. 100%. Story number uh, three, Jim Watson running for re-election is campaigning against Doug Ford, apparently. Not a wise move, Doug, uh, Jim. Don't campaign against your provincial counterparts, even though you used to be in cabinet with Kathleen Wynne. Appearing on Ottawa Now, where Kathleen Wynne made these same statements again about you can't trust Doug Ford. Uh, Mayor Jim Watson also on Ottawa Now saying that you you can't take these commitments at face value. The the reality is, uh, even though you may have a Treasury Board uh, minute, which we do, and I appreciate the Premier and and her government uh, uh, passing that, and and she solved another problem we had about a week ago on the LRT funding, which we're grateful for, any government uh, can go in and reverse that. Uh, we hope that doesn't happen because, uh, obviously, we're going to start right. the procurement process uh, later this year. And we want to award the contract in early 2019. Well, in just over 30 days, you'll find out who the government is. And you've got a commitment from at least the front runner that that funding is secure. But, Jim, don't go out there running against Doug Ford. Just don't do it. I know that your liberal instincts say campaign against this guy. It's not in your best interest. Story number four. 
has to do with the Ottawa Senators and some big news today announced by their general manager, Pierre Dorian, appearing on TSN 1200's The Drive, Guy Boucher, will remain as head coach, says Dorian. Just for you guys on TSN 1200, Guy and his uh, entire staff are returning next season. Uh, We look forward to continuing the process that we started last year and to uh, seeing a great improvement in our team in the upcoming season. All right, so Lachif stays in place. Let's say that um, he just needs to do a better job next year. And story number five, you could soon drive to France. Now, I'm not talking about like in the Muppets movie where you drive by map and go under the water and pull up on a beach in Marseille. No, you could soon drive to France via a ferry from Canada, not going across the Atlantic, but to the islands of Saint-Pierre and Miquelon off the south coast of Newfoundland. They're planning to use two new ferries to carry automobiles from Fortune, Newfoundland. The town's mayor, Charles Penwell, says the year-round service should boost tourism to his town and the region. It certainly is a piece of France right next door. There's no question about that. I mean, the the language is uh, is different from what we're used to in Newfoundland, but it's very similar from what I've discovered to the Basque region of France. Uh, the ferry that currently operates between Fortune and Saint-Pierre-Miquelon only carries people. So once you get there, you can't get around. So they're lo- And that's only in the spring and the summer months. Now they're looking at having car service added. Stick around. We will talk more about Kathleen Wynne, Jim Watson, their re-election campaigns coming up here on Beyond the News. And we'll also dive into the Liberal Carbon t- Tax Plans with... Tim Ball, Chris Sims. You don't want to miss any of it. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. MPs in the House of Commons today voted overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly to call on Pope Francis to issue an apology. It was 269 to 10. So here's what I have to say to that. Shame on every single MP that voted for this, because what you have just said is that the apology put forward by Pope Benedict, I believe it was, just wasn't good enough. This is part of why the Catholic Church has said no, by the way. They've apologized for this already. But as Terry Padwell from the Canadian Press says, today they voted to call on the Catholic Church to apologize again. New Democrat MPs Charlie Angus and residential school survivor Romeo Saganash introduced the motion, which passed by a margin of 269 to 10. Among the 94 calls to action by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was to ask for an apology to be delivered in Canada by the pontiff for the church's role in the residential school abuse of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis children. But in March, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops said that while the Pope acknowledged the Commission's findings and expressed regret for past wrongs, he felt he could not personally respond. Terry Pedro, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. Now, why? Well... The Catholic Church, as I said, already apologized. 2009, April 29th, 
2009 to be exact, Pope Benedict offered an apology. He had members of various First Nations groups in the Vatican with him where he issued the apology. Phil LaFontaine, who was then the head of the Assembly of First Nations, stepped forward and said it was one of the most meaningful times in his life. So we've had a formal apology from the Vatican, formal apology from Parliament of Canada. You know, if they said, well, we need another apology from the Parliament of Canada, what are we going to do? Wait a minute. We already apologized. You said thank you. We accept. How many times do you apologize for the same thing when the people that you apologize to have accepted your apology? Uh, No, it's got to be in Canada. Well... Don't change the ground rules halfway through. Don't change the ground rules eight years after the fact, nine years after the fact. So shame on all those MPs that voted for this today. It is grandstanding at its worst. Speaking of grandstanding at its worst, uh, did you hear Kathleen Wynne on Ottawa Now today? Yeah, the premier was on Ottawa Now talking about, you know, I I mentioned earlier, she had this fear-mongering thing going on when she was in town yesterday. Well, if you vote for Doug Ford, French schools will suffer. You vote for Doug Ford, no LRT. And there she was again, pushing that agenda on Ottawa Now. I was asked a question about uh, Doug Ford and infrastructure and the LRT. And what I what I said was, I don't know. I can't. All I said was, I can't guarantee what another government would do. And what I do know is that a couple of weeks ago in Cornwall, Doug Ford said that he would continue to flow infrastructure dollars if municipalities made cuts. That's what I said in my uh, in my answer to the reporter. And so, you know, you really you have to go to Doug Ford and ask him what it is what it is comments in Cornwall mean because if infrastructure dollars and the plans that are in place are dependent on municipalities making cuts then municipal leaders need to know that well funny enough doug ford was on this radio station two weeks ago with rob snow saying he is 100 percent behind funding for the lrt are you committed to keeping that funding in place for phase two of light rail in ottawa sir yes i am yes you are 100 percent 100 percent Okay, so you don't get much better than that. And we'll get to Jim Watson and, and his whole shenanigans with his reelection again. But, you know, even he's out there pushing Wynn's agenda, which disappoints me. And I would expect the, the mayor to stay out of the provincial race as much as he can, especially when it looks like his team, let's face it, he used to be a part of the same cabinet as Kathleen Wynn, his team is going down. They're going to lose. So why are you campaigning against the guy that is most likely to win, possibly creating problems for Ottawa in the future? But there he was. The reality is, uh, even though you may have a Treasury Board uh, minute, which we do, and I appreciate the Premier and and her government uh, uh, passing that, and and she solved another problem we had about a week ago on the LRT funding, which we're grateful for, any government uh, can go in and reverse that. Uh, we hope that doesn't happen because, uh, obviously, we're going to start right. the procurement process uh, later this year. And we want to award the contract in early 2019. Liberals helping liberals. It is disappointing. 
Because, look, municipal politics, one of the things I like about municipal politics is that you throw the party stuff for the most part to the wind. And people can be more independent. And Jim Watson is more conservative than he would be if it was a liberal party running City Hall. Partly because he relies on conservative-oriented members of council to pass his agenda. And so he has to find middle ground. Uh, Campaigning against the PCs is a bad idea. You know, you got a premier with a horrible record, a record of absolute disaster out there. She's got popularity. I mean, she she pines for Justin Trudeau or Donald Trump's level of approval because she's got the lowest in the province. She's got the lowest in the country among premiers and then amongst the, the three contenders to be premier. She's in the toilet. But don't worry, Kathleen Wynne said on Ottawa now she is going to run on her record because she's proud of her record. There are people telling you that we shouldn't run on our record. So here's, here's my record. Um, when we came into office, kids were graduating from school in Ontario at a rate of 68%. We've now got 86% of kids graduating from school because there are student success teachers. There are more teachers in the schools helping those kids. We've got a full-day kindergarten in place, Evan. We've built 800 new schools. We've built... Uh, dozens of new hospitals. We've retrofitted hospitals all over the province. We've got 26,000 more nurses. So why is there hallway health care? So why am I getting calls from people saying, my grandmother, my father, my husband, my wife, my kid was just put into a closet. That's where their hospital bed is. It's in a closet that was emptied out so they could shove the bed in there. Why is that happening, Premier Wynne? Why do we have only about half of grade six students able to meet the provincial standard? Now, the provincial standard isn't 100%. That's just, you know, where they say, well, this is an acceptable level. And only half can meet the acceptable level for grade six math. Why do we have that, Premier? Why do we have energy poverty in this province, Premier Wynne? Why do we have the $6 million man why do we have your $3 million man of David Hurtley out there? Why do we have any of this, Premier Win? This is your record, and this is why you will go down in defeat. On health care, on education, on hydro, on the finances of the province, you are a disaster. A complete and utter disaster. But don't worry. Wynn says no. Everything's great in the school system. Forget whatever you heard. Forget the the standardized testing. I mean, she's going to do away with it anyway. You know that will happen if she wins another election. She is out there trying to tell you that everything is fine in the school system. That we have put more supports in place for math. We get that. We understand that there's more that we need to do. And, you know, if what we have done, we measure in a couple of years and see the impact of that, uh, I hope we see an increase. If not, then there will be more that we need to do. But... I, and I understand that that's a challenge, but the, I also know that our kids go on to college and university and they compete at the very highest levels internationally. And if you look globally in terms of language, science, and math, kids at our high school level do very, very well. So, yes, we, we have some work to do with uh, kids in the, the grade six year for sure, but that doesn't negate all of the other positive things that have happened in our education okay, system, good. in our health care system.
Do you want to know why they do better at the high school level? Streaming. They put the academic kids into one stream. They put the general kids into the other. It's the academic kids that they put forward and say, look, look, our kids are doing great in math. The kids in what we used to call general, I don't know what they call it now, they're not doing that great on the standardized testing. They also lower the level they're expected to meet. At grade six, everyone's expected to meet the same level and only half can meet the provincial standard. That's on you, Premier. You've been warned, you've been told that you're teaching math in a completely messed up fashion, that you need to pick a a different method, a different pedagogy for teaching math, and you refuse to because you are married to your social experiment in math, one that's been going on for more than a decade and one that is failing. But hey, if there's one thing you know about Premier Wynn, it is marrying yourself to failing policies which is why you continue to sign more contracts for wind farms that this province doesn't need to provide energy that we don't need at inflated prices that we can't afford. But who's counting? Well, you're not counting, not properly anyway. Not according to the Auditor General, but again, Kathleen Wynn asked about that. What does she put it down? Evan says, this is about trust. He was very good on this. He was pointing out, like, you got the Auditor General saying all these things about you, can people trust you? Kathleen Wynne says this is just a dispute between accountants. There is an accounting dispute between professional accountants and anyone who wants to know exactly what's going on. The books are open for everyone to see in a way that no government has ever made them open. No government has had the requirement to have a pre-election report. The books are open. And you know what's interesting, Evan? The opposition parties are basing their plans on our accounting because those are the official books of the province of course they're doing that you dunderhead they're the official books of the province why don't you just lie some more kathleen when you're good at it it's what you do it's what you accomplish best if there was a gold medal in lying you'd compete for canada in that sport but you're lying to the people you're lying to the people on schools, you're lying to the people on healthcare. you're lying to the people on the accounting, you're lying to the people on LRT, on French language education, you're lying, lying, lying. Look, we know what you're doing when it comes to accounting. You're claiming things that are not yours as an asset. You're claiming the surplus pension funds from OPSU and OECTA, or the Ontario Teachers Pension, sorry, the Ontario Teachers Pension and OPSU, Uh, Omers, you're claiming their surpluses as an asset when you don't own them or control them. That's adding $2.7 billion to your books. Well, you know, when Doug Ford says people would go to jail for what you're doing, that's what he's talking about. You couldn't do that in the private sector. You couldn't claim a pension asset or pension revenue that belonged to somebody else as your own asset and file those books. That would not be allowed for a publicly traded company. You've also moved debt off book, which would not be allowed for a publicly traded company. It may seem harsh to say that the Premier is a liar, but she is, and she needs to be called out for it. Everyone wants to fact-check Donald Trump, even in this country. we got to fact-check that man. Let's fact-check Premier Wynne. Let's fact-check her government. Let's have a 
a, a lie countdown like the Toronto Star has for Donald Trump for their favorite girl, Kathleen Wynne. And let's remember that when she says she's going to run on her record, darn straight she is, whether she wants to or not. And the people of Ontario have looked at the record, they don't like it, and they're voting her out June 7th. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. People like uh, the steady-as-she-goes approach that I bring to the office. I'm not flashy. I'm not... uh... I'm uh, going to uh, set the world on fire with my personality, but uh, people think that I've done a competent job and they want us to continue uh, providing good services to the public and keep city hall and taxes affordable. Hold on. What did Jim Watson just say? Uh, I'm going to uh, set the world on fire with my personality, but... Jim Watson's not going to set the world on fire with his personality? Say it ain't so. Uh, look... Jim Watson is correct when he says LRT is a big project for the city. And I played the clip a couple times already where he warned that any future government could pull it out. Now, perhaps it was a bit hard on him because to me, it sounds like he's selling Kathleen Wynne's line that, you know, better watch it or Doug Ford will take it away. But he also said in the interview, and perhaps I was just upset at the way he'd phrased other stuff, he also said, that he does have a personal commitment from Doug Ford. Unlike Tim Hudak in the last election, he says Ford has promised him, we're not going to pull funding that has been promised to you already for LRT. And he agreed that he would not uh, pull back money from phase two. So we got Treasury Board approval from Premier Wynne's government. We're really happy about that. And now we have all three party leaders who have pledged to me uh, personally, Andrea Horvath a long time ago, the Premier quite a while ago, and now Doug Ford. And that's good for passengers and residents of Ottawa. Watson says, and and today, the mayor kicked off his re-election campaign. If you want to run for city council, today's the day to do it. You can get out there, you can register, and you can push to be a member of Ottawa City Council for the election that's going to happen in November. Now, we don't have anyone running against Watson because he's not setting the world on fire. There was talk that Paul Dewar would enter the race. He has been dealing with cancer, with his own illness, and... Only my best wishes go to Paul. There was talk that Vern White, the senator, former Ottawa City police chief, would join in the race. He has opted not to. And I ask around and nobody else has names coming forward. No other names coming forward to challenge Jim Watson for the mayoralty. Now, what is Watson's big plan? It remains the same big plan as always. LRT. Well, I think the biggest uh, project is, of course, phase two of LRT, which is, is uh, even bigger than phase one. It comes into effect uh, on, 
uh, on uh, November of this year, and uh, we want to make sure that we continue the momentum and the progress we've made with that uh, city-changing project and uh, get us going farther east to Plast Orleans and Trim for the good people in Orleans and Cumberland, farther west to uh, the, the uh, Moody Drive where Nortel uh, building is, and of course Bayshore and Algonquin College, and farther south uh, to Bowesville, Riverside South. That's the single largest project, and I think... It's going to be a fascinating time when there isn't really any competition. Who do you who do you look to? Who do you look to to challenge the mayor? Because I think we all become better with competition. And I'm not sure that Jim Watson having no competition is the best thing for the city going forward. Do I agree that he has run that sort of uh line or that sort of um administration? Absolutely. Steady as she goes, don't rock the boat, and everything's going to be fine. That's how Jim runs the city, and that's why he isn't facing a strong competitor because people don't think they can beat him. But if you want to talk about that later on, here's what I ask of you. Give me a name. I always ask you. Nobody comes up with serious contenders. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. It is a beautiful night in the Byward Market, I gotta tell you. Stepped out, I got myself a pakora and a samosa from a little Indian place around the corner. Nice snack mid-show. Looking forward to it. But I can tell you it's you know, it's warm still. It's a beautiful Breeze in the air. Sens House, the Sens House Sports Bar out behind us. Senators aren't in the playoffs, but absolutely packed. The windows rolled up. They roll up the windows on the upper floor, and it's packed with people watching hockey. Still, I'm pretty sure it's not as nice as where my friend Tim Ball is sitting right now, out in beautiful Victoria, where it's summertime year-round, I believe. Isn't it, Dr. Ball? Well, where else would a Canadian climatologist choose to live? <laughs> you did the you, you see. You did what my parents didn't do. You studied the climate and chose go. wisely. Well, and I also did what most people, including uh, Trudeau and McKenna and all the rest of them, did. I studied climate. <laughs> well, let me ask you uh, about a couple of things that came out yesterday. It was a tense exchange, and I'm going to play some of that later. In the show, but there was a tense exchange uh, in the House of Commons today between Pierre Polyev and, and Catherine McKenna on climate. But yesterday, as they were announcing their climate plans, Catherine McKenna says that their price on carbon, their $50 a ton price on carbon, could eliminate up to, keywords could and up and to, could eliminate up to 90 million tons of carbon dioxide by 2022. Uh, And she says that's the equivalent of taking 20 million cars off the road. Here she is. And I mean, when you look at the the price on pollution, it eliminates 80 to 90 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's like, that's like taking all every car off the road in Canada or closing 
20 to 23 coal plants for a year. Dr. Ball is a, an, an actual climatologist, unlike Catherine McKenna, who's a lawyer by training and and just keeps answering questions about the carbon tax by saying, well, I have children, don't you love children? Will their plan of $50 a ton by 2022, their plan, will it meet their goals? It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Um, the, if they implement the entire Paris Climate Agreement, of which Canada is just a fraction, here's what Bjorn Lomberg said. The climate impact of all Paris promises is minuscule. If we measure the impact of every nation fulfilling every promise by 2030, the total temperature reduction will be 0.048 degrees Celsius by 2100. This is insanity. And and as to McKenna as a lawyer, um, aren't lawyers supposed to listen to both sides of the argument? But she's totally accepted one of them and doesn't listen to the other. And, 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 and I know, and that, that yeah. that's a great argument to have, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that. But before I get your yeah. thoughts on that, I yeah. wanted to ask you about this claim, because they say, well, if we do A, it will accomplish B. And I look at their numbers. And they say, well, if we don't get down to 510 megatons of carbon or greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, then the world will fry. And I look at what they claim their carbon tax will do, and it doesn't even get us halfway there, which means we're going to have to have a bigger carbon tax. Well, of course, that's the long-term goal. The the only thing that all governments, I don't care which stripe they are, the only good thing that they're good at is finding new ways to tax you. There's absolutely no need. First of all, by the way, of course, you notice the lie. It's not a carbon tax. It's a CO2 tax. She doesn't even know that carbon is a solid and CO2 is a gas. They're not even the same thing. So uh, I, I don't know where to start with this idiocy. And, and um, as, as I said, uh, you know, well, just the fact that Bill Nye, the science guy who doesn't know anything, was able to make a fool out of, of, of Trudeau when he met him because he pointed out his hypocrisy of bringing in a carbon tax at the same time he was approving the pipeline, which would supposedly increase the CO2 levels. So th- this, what we're trying to do, uh, Brian, is we're trying, they're trying to have a rational discussion about an irrational thing. You simply can't do it. And, and, and don't forget, by, the, to, by the, the same time that Canada's reducing their CO2 production and not even going to meet their targets, as you point out, China, India, and Russia are not required to reduce at all. In fact, they can increase at the same time. So what, what on earth are we doing? It's like, it's like penning, penalizing ourselves and, and, um, and while other people are break, breaking the law. That, that's exactly what they're, what they're signed into with this Paris Climate Agreement. Our esteemed Prime Minister was out close to your neck of the woods. He was across the, uh, across the water in Vancouver yesterday, not in beautiful Victoria. Um, what's gas, by the way? Uh, speaking with Dr. Tim Ball, climatologist, retired, um, but still active on this file. What's gas going for out in, in beautiful Victoria, Tim? I don't know exactly, but I've seen it as high as 151. 151, okay, so 161, 162 in Vancouver yesterday, and the Prime Minister was asked, will your carbon tax increase the price of gas? I don't know if you've heard this clip yet, but I want you to listen carefully. He doesn't directly answer and yet does answer at the same time. 
I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from uh, better from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Uh, putting aside the fact that he calls carbon dioxide a pollution, he yeah. um, he, he made it clear that the price is going to go higher with his carbon tax and the further increases in the carbon tax down the road because he wants a price on it to make it less affordable for you so that you choose something else. Well, and of course, this is uh, social engineering by governments, and that's what people are so tired of. But but the other thing is the only province, in fact, one of the, the earliest jurisdictions in the world to introduce a carbon tax was right here in British Columbia. And it was done by Andrew Weaver, who's now the leader of the Green Party um, in the legislature, who's opposed to the pipeline. Um, but in B.C., the, the uh, carbon tax has not achieved any of the things that they said it would achieve, which is what Trudeau's talking about. Oh, the choice is you won't drive the car as much. It hasn't reduced driving one bit. In fact, it's increasing. And so, and it was supposed to be revenue neutral. It has not been revenue neutral. So all of the lies that they promised that it would do and the, the choices that people would make because of it are simply false. And, and, and so, as I said, it, I, you just get so angry at, at um, what they keep saying and, and what they know and what they understand when you really know all they want is power, they want control, and they want your money, period. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about um, Canada as a, a, a net contributor to greenhouse gases or a carbon sink. I had so many people call me over the last little while and say, Brian, we're a carbon sink. People should be paying us. Is there truth to that, Dr. Ball? Oh, there's total truth, because, of course, you see, one of the things that happened early in this whole debate with the Kyoto Protocol, which was, of course, uh, going to be include a carbon tax, um, the Americans said, no, we want, we want credit. You see, all they ever do is talk about the carbon that, that is put into the atmosphere by humans. They never talk about the carbon that's taken out of the atmosphere by humans or by other uh, sources. The major, the oceans, of course, are by far the largest uh, source and sink. That's the, t- the term they give to something that absorbs CO2. But the forests are, are right next to it. And, and Canada's boreal forest alone um, is a huge sink for carbon. And, and therefore, yeah, what the Americans, what they wanted to, they said, we'll, we'll sign Kyoto if you give us credit for the CO2 we're taking out. And the Europeans said, well, we don't know how much the, the, the trees take out of the atmosphere, so we won't do it. But they, they, they wanted to go ahead with Kyoto anyway. One of the things that happened recently, and I had a little bit of input into this, was Saskatchewan said, um, okay, if they bring in a carbon tax, what we'll do is we'll pay farmers so much per bushel of, of uh, grain grown because in growing that grain, they take CO2 out of the atmosphere. Uh, They're see, in fact, I, yeah. I, I just heard today that there is a greenhouse grower in Ottawa, he grows tomatoes, uh, SunTech tomatoes, that he's penalized and charged for the carbon that he puts into the greenhouse. So when you're growing tomatoes in a greenhouse, you emit a certain amount of carbon dioxide to, to encourage the plants to grow, and they absorb it, but he's still charged because that's, a, you know, you're emitting carbon. Well, <laughs> the plants need it to grow. <laughs> But, 
But here's the thing, and, that, and this, by the way, this practice of injecting CO2 into a greenhouse has been going on in Holland for over 100 years. Uh, here on the West Coast, in all the greenhouses in Delta, they, the, average, the atmospheric level of CO2, they're telling you, is about 400 parts per million. All of these commercial greenhouses push in up to 1,200 parts per million, and what that does is it increases the yield of the plant by a factor of four, and it also reduces the amount of water that the plant uses. So there's, there's huge benefits to it. But yeah, I mean, to, this, this again shows you how ignorant the government are and what they're doing. They just want the money. They don't care about the facts or, or, or what uh, the truth is. It's just give me the money. Uh, I got an email that you're promoting uh, a book. Is it a new book, Dr. Ball? Well, it's a it's a follow up. I did a book uh, about this uh, deception, this deliberate deception. And and by the way, the whole global warming due to human CO two is the original fake news story. It started about thirty years ago, in nineteen ninety, and a little bit before that. And, of course, it then was perpetrated by the bureaucrats through the bureaucracy, which, of course, is the deep state. And uh, what people need to know is that at the founding meeting of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the people that uh, give all of the uh, advice through Environment Canada to McKenna and Trudeau, um, where they're all bureaucrats, and the 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 founding meeting of the IPCC occurred in Villach, Austria, in 1985, and the meeting was chaired by the Assistant Deputy Minister of Environment Canada, Gordon McBean. Maurice Strong, who a lot of your listeners know, and I know you know the name. Oh yeah, he knew that if he set the uh, if he set the whole thing up through the bureaucracies, he would then control the politicians. And that's precisely what's happening. So McKenna and Trudeau, um, you can let them off the hook by saying they're at the mercy of these deep state bureaucrats who have bought into uh, bad science. And, of course, one of the problems is once they convinced everybody that CO2 was a problem and global warming is a problem, they as bureaucrats are never going to come out and say, hey, what we discovered is wrong. They perpetuate the lies. And that's what's happening. Uh, and, it's and so, job yeah. security. Yeah, of course, totally, totally. And, All right. Yeah. So you can find Dr. Uh, Tim Ball's latest book, Human Cause Global Warming, at Amazon. That's probably the easiest place to get it because, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of bookstores are going to say, oh, I wouldn't carry that. But you can find it at Amazon. You can have it by tomorrow with Amazon Prime. That's what Amazon's telling me right now. Dr. Ball, thanks so much for the time. Well, thank you, Brian, and thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for providing people with the other side of the story and letting them make up their own minds. All right. It's, it's always fun talking to you. Dr. Tim thank Ball you. joining us from Victoria tonight. Uh, we're not done with the carbon tax issue yet, though, because Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation will join us after the 8.30 news to talk about what happened in British Columbia. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Unofficial opposition. Brian Lilly is on your side. Beyond the news on News Talk 580 CFRA.
I always love talking to Dr. Tim Ball, and he's one of the most requested guests that we have on the show. People will always say, have you heard of Dr. Tim Ball? Can you interview Dr. Tim Ball? I've known Tim for years. He's a great guy. Great guy. Love having him on the show. Earlier today in the House of Commons, Pierre Polyev, conservative MP for Carleton, stood up and kept pushing the government for better information. They released their findings, and I went over them yesterday, and you can find my full write-up, all the details at brianlilly.com, on why they won't meet their targets for the Paris Climate Agreement. Not with this carbon tax. It has to be higher. Why? Because it's simply not there. But one of the things that Pierre has been after them for some time is how much this tax will cost the average Canadian family. Well, the government knows what it will cost, but it won't release the information. It released a bunch of documents with all the numbers blacked out. We talked about that last week. Today, Pierre Polyev up in the House again. He's asking the finance minister questions, but Catherine McKenna, the environment minister, is the one responding. Carlton, for the finance minister, today in the finance committee, government officials admitted they have modeled the cost of the carbon tax to Canadian families. There you go. But then when I asked if they would just share those calculations with the committee and with the people who will have to pay those taxes, the official said he cannot do that at this time. So what the government wants is for Canadians to write a blank check wherein the amounts will be written after that check is in the hands of the government. Why won't the finance minister end his carbon tax cover-up and tell us what this tax would cost Canadians? Honourable Minister of Environment. Didn't read the report that was released yesterday. Clear evidence that what? Putting a price on pollution works. And it also, you can do that while growing a clean economy. We make decisions based on evidence. But I've got a question for the uh, member opposite. What would his party do to tackle climate change? Do they even believe it's real? Because they have no plan. Here, here. Okay, you notice what McKenna's doing there. Sorry, eating my pakora mid-chew here. You notice what she's doing there. She's not answering the question that's put to her. She's asked, what will the cost be? She said, we released a plan showing it works. Okay, but what will it cost the average family? Hilarious clip out there, by the way, of uh, Michelle Rempel asking Bill Morneau for the gender-based analysis and will it cost women more? Because remember, he mentioned gender 359 times in his budget. But he couldn't actually answer the question because they haven't done a gender-based analysis. But they're asked, what will the cost be to the average family? They say, it works. Where's your plan? But thankfully, Pierre Polyev's not giving up. Order. The Honorable Member for Carleton. Well, Mr. Speaker, it's disappointing that the finance minister is still in hiding and can't answer questions about his own budget. But we'll find out if there's anyone over there who can answer this question today. Gas prices in Vancouver have reached a record $1.60. Consumers are suffering. Families are paying more, and it's going to get a lot worse under this proposed liberal carbon tax. The government knows how much this tax will cost families. Why won't they tell Canadians how much will it cost the average family? Mr. Speaker, I 
wish I wish the member opposite wouldn't mislead I'll, I wouldn't mislead people from British Columbia. If he understood economics, he'd understand why the price is higher for gas in BC. It actually has to do with the supply and demand issue. It has to do with exchange rates. We understand that polluting is not free. There is a real cost on Canadians, and I wish you could tell all the kids that are watching Question Period right now what you would do to ensure a more sustainable future for them. Think about the children. This is the new liberal line. What about the children? I have children. We must act. Okay, what will your actions do? What will they cause? Well, I have children. Yeah. So what? I do too. What will it cost? What will it accomplish? Tell us something, Catherine. Don't just stand there and obfuscate. As far as British Columbia, we'll speak to a woman that knows. Chris Sims, BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, former reporter and producer here at News Talk 580 CFRA. She'll join us next. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, Mr. Speaker, it might be a lot more sustainable if they would let us as Canadians build a pipeline to bring our own petroleum to its market. But back to the matter at hand, there is no question that this carbon tax will raise the price of gasoline. The the, the minister's own document says that it will go up by at least 11 cents, and that's if you believe their numbers. They also know how much this tax will cost the average Canadian family, but nobody will answer over there. Why won't they end this cover-up and tell us how much this tax will cost? question period to handle hand over our analysis that shows that carbon pricing works and you can do it while growing the economy 80 percent of canadians live in a province ontario british columbia uh, alberta and quebec where there's a price on pollution and guess what their economies were the fastest growing in the country once again i asked the member opposite what are you going to do under 10 years of the harper government you did nothing Catherine McKenna calling carbon pollution again. It's not pollution, Catherine. Ask your science minister. Well, she's not really a scientist either. (sighs) There was a reference there to build the pipeline. Maybe the price will come down. Pierre Polyev basically referring to the price of gas in B.C.'s lower mainland. How bad is it out there? You would choke on it. I'm choking it $1.36 here in Ottawa. Chris Sims, who used to live in Ottawa, used to sit in this studio, joins me on the line. She's the British Columbia Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And Chris, how bad is it in B.C.? It's so bad, you can add 30 cents to what you guys are being hosed for there right now. Wow. So it's about a, yeah, it's about a buck 64 thereabouts in downtown Vancouver. It is just Ghastly, not not kidding. Uh, people can't drive to work. Uh, they can't afford it. In fact, restaurants are calling into radio stations saying, I can't even afford to get my produce shipped in now, these fancy places in downtown Vancouver, because the trucking costs are getting up there. You know, I was speaking to our mutual friend, Elise Mills, last week, 
Mm-hmm. And when the news broke that the Trudeau government was, you know, the same people that said you can't get summer job grant if you don't agree with us on abortion, were funding the Dogwood Initiative to protest the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Elise was telling me even in the hippiest places of Vancouver, people were outraged because they see what's going on with the price of gas out there. The fact that there is a problem of supply and demand that you know, could be helped by the increased supply from a pipeline. Yes, exactly. So they want to twin the Kinder Morgan or Trans Mountain Pipeline, as you know. And along with that would come increased supply of refined products. Because right now we unfortunately get a lot of our product up from Washington State. And there's not enough coming through the single pipeline that's been there since the 1950s. And so we have these people who are being paid to protest this pipeline. Turns out, surprise, they're being paid with your tax dollars. And it's just the intensity right now between, I won't say B.C., I'll say the B.C. government. Between the B.C. government and the people of Alberta is just ferocious right now. The people of Alberta are basically saying, yeah, choke on it. Pay $3 a liter in Vancouver, $4, I don't care. Get our pipeline built. And then to find out that our taxes are actually going to try to block it and stop it, it's pretty gross. Chris, I wanted to have you on because we're told by the current government in the current year that we just need to get it with the program and be like British Columbia and have a carbon tax and that it will be revenue neutral. Now, I've talked to British Columbians for years now who say, Brian, it's nothing but a lie. They keep coming up with new ways to claim they're giving money back to people when they're not. And you, and you sent me a page from the budget. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, the, the the carbon tax will be revenue neutral because every dollar we collect from the carbon tax will go back to you in the form of other tax cuts. Uh I want to know how many British Columbians, average family British Columbians, receive the Film Incentive BC tax credit uh, in exchange for paying a carbon tax, or does that just go to film producers? That just goes goes to film producers. There's a whole pile of things in this document you sent me that have (laughs) nothing to do with average British Columbians who are paying the freight getting their money back. That's right. They're actually making me choke it so high. And so this is very simple, the way that they did it. It was so simple. In fact, I thought I was misreading the budget when I landed back right here. So say you have a carbon tax and say, just for argument's sake, you scrape together a billion dollars in carbon tax that comes from price at the pump, that comes from heating oil, that comes from all sorts of stuff. And then in your budget document, you have a frame and you call it revenue neutral carbon tax and you list the billion dollars there. You start with a billion. Then what the government has done, Brian, has scraped together weird tax credits, like you said, everything from the film tax credit to the home renovation for low-income seniors to the Northern Living Allowance, credits that you'd see in any other province's budget. But what this government did is they scraped it together, stuffed it inside the carbon tax frame, made it balance out to zero, and abracadabra, revenue neutral. What this means basically is We'll take your money and we'll spend every nickel of it and we'll make it look on paper like it's revenue neutral. There's no such thing. The only thing the carbon tax is, is a tax. There's no such thing as a revenue neutral tax. And the problem here is that British Columbia has been used as a Trojan horse now for years. Oh, British Columbia has a tax and it's price on carbon. Oh, British Columbia has a tax and it's revenue neutral. 
It's not true. All it is is a tax. It does sound better than what we're doing here in Ontario. We're sending money to Jerry Brown's California, who has uh, oil fields in the Pacific that have a higher carbon footprint than anything out of the oil sands in Alberta. And we're sending him hundreds of millions of dollars to buy credits off of freaking California and Jerry Brown, a a bankrupt state. I don't know. Let's play carbon tax poker. So I see, I see your California scheme, and I raise you David Suzuki. David Suzuki's from BC, and he flies all around Canada. He's got a huge carbon footprint, and he lectures all the rest of us to not do as he does. So it's basically a mess. This idea of somehow taxing carbon or CO2, which is an element, we're literally carbon-based life forms, is crazy. And the reason why they get away with it is because the government can turn around and say, well, don't you care about your children? Don't you love the environment? Who's going to say no to that? And, right, and that's, what, around... that's what the Trudeau government's been doing for the last while. Catherine McKenna keeps invoking her children. Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday it was the parliamentary secretary invoking his children. Justin Trudeau invoking his children. Uh, you add all, the, all of them up, you might get to as many children as Andrew Shear has, who's standing opposite <laughs> them. So in children poker, I think Andrew Shear wins. He's got five. <laughs> Yeah, so you should help him out and throw in with him, Brian. You'll Ma- beat them. <laughs> math is yeah, math is uh, yeah, absolutely. Math <laughs> isn't their strong suit over on the liberal side. Look, I you know back to this document that you sent me from the yep. the BC budget. You know, it, there's certain things in there that I would say, okay, that is legit, like a a low income climate action tax credit of 115 dollars per adult. Okay, fine. Reduction of five percent in the first two personal income tax rates. Okay, fine. That's reducing one form of tax in favor of another. Even uh, general corporate income tax rate reduced from 12 to 11 percent, small mm-hmm. business corporate. Those are all things because those are the people paying. But the training tax credit, the scientific research and experimental development tax credit, the film incentive BC tax credit, the production services tax credit, those are tax credits going to have Deadpool film, filmed in Vancouver. And while Ryan Reynolds is cool... Uh, I'm not really sure that that lowers the carbon footprint of British Columbia. Yes, exactly. And the the main point is, is that it's all just a bucket. If you take a look at government revenue that they scoop up, it's all in the same bucket. They can stick any technical tax credit that they want to on that bucket and call it revenue neutral. But what it is, is money in and money out. That's all that this is actually doing. And a lot of those tax credits, the same, I think there's one that actually says, Reduction of school property tax credit when declared as farm. (laughs) There there are similar tax credits like that across Canada within every provincial budget. They name them all sorts of weird stuff, but they don't have a carbon tax. All BC is doing is taking their money and then labeling them with tax credits. It's absolutely meaningless. And further, when I went up to the, you always go to bureaucrats when you actually want to find out what's going on. You go to the permanent government. Don't ask the politicians. So I went up to the bureaucrat who's in charge of finance. I said, excuse me, I don't think I'm reading this right. Why are you doing an MSP tax reduction or this film tax credit within the carbon tax and making a balance to zero? And he looked at me and he said, this has always just been an accounting exercise. So it's just a weird little shell game that they've been playing. And the NDP has dropped the term altogether. So, we'll no so they don't even want to pretend show. that things are revenue neutral anymore. No, no. They've been, to give them credit, at least they've dropped the facade. There's no longer a puppet show. They call the carbon tax a tool now. 
and they've dropped the term revenue neutral. So we no longer need to go through this dog and pony show. You know, I'm looking at the official government of British Columbia, uh, greenhouse gas emissions totals for the years. And there's a slight drop from 2002 to 2006. The only big drop there or another big drop is during the global recession. Then it went back up. Yes, exactly. And, excuse me. <coughs> it's making me choke. It's so bad. <laughs> the, Sierra Club, the Sierra Club actually called it a token amount that it went down. And that, that really grinds my gears because, number one, they're right. The emissions have gone up and only went down a tiny bit. And they're calling this a token amount. They want more. More, 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 more. Well, how much more are people supposed to reduce their use of a lifeblood of the modern economy? People need to get to work. People need to go to school. People need to heat their homes. And, and the simple Farmers fact of the matter is, uh, Chris, we, we're always finding ways to be more energy efficient. We drive more energy efficient cars. Yes. You know, Ford is getting out of the um, sedan business, I'll say for, for two cars, one being the Mustang, and going strictly with trucks and SUVs. Even those SUVs are more fuel efficient than the old sedans you and I grew up dri- being driven around by our parents in. Our homes are yes. more efficient. So, you know, we're all using less per person than we were 20, 30 years ago. Dramatically less per person. When you combine capitalism with technology, amazing and wonderful things happen. Companies innovate. They invent new ways of doing things. They conserve more energy. Why? Because it's good for them to do it. And it takes care of itself. You don't need to be hitting people with these massive carbon taxes every time they're trying to go to work, go to school, or heat their homes. And I think for a lot of people, they've lost touch with how important oil and gas is to our economy. But right now in BC, the way that it's structured, the NDP is technically in a minority, and it's propped up by the Green Party. And the Green Party leader was on national television the other day and actually said, oh, oil and gas isn't a driver in our economy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, look so around. It, it, it drives you know, the Alberta economy, which, and, you know, the Ontario economy, a good chunk of it is driven by manufacturing. A good chunk mm-hmm. of that manufacturing is of automobiles, which run on still oil and gas, where yep. what, at less than 1% of cars on the road are, are electric, and those Teslas keep crashing. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, so... Does does Andrew Weaver actually have a clue? Not in this case, you know, and he, he just doesn't seem connected to reality anymore because every, just think about it, every single thing we do, imagine life before 1860. That was before we discovered oil in, in large amounts and figured out how to actually use it. So from tilling the soil to planting the seeds to harvesting the crops to growing the tomatoes in the greenhouses to trucking them to the grocery store, Every step of that simple amount of food production, which we all need, requires oil and gas. We used to kill a lot of whales to be able to light our homes at night. Exactly. Whale blubber lit homes around the world. That's right. And ambergris, which is this weird stuff that whales would puke up, was an essential part of perfume, dyes, and soaps. But we stopped (laughs) using that, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's called ambergris. You, you, you've awesome. always got something weirder than I have, Chris, but it wouldn't be you if I, if that didn't happen. Uh, th- it's proof. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time tonight, uh, and uh, enjoy your conference. 
Thank you so much. And hi to CFRA Nation. I miss all of you guys. All right. Chris Sims, uh, former producer here, former reporter here, now BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. When we come back, I've got some audio you've got to hear. Bill Morneau being grilled by Michelle Rempel on whether the carbon tax is gender neutral. I know I'm going big on this tonight, but there's so many angles you need to hear on this and so much bullcrap you're being fed by other people. This is important. Brian Lilly. Don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Just after nine, I'll give you a partial list we've got of some of the people that are going to be running for Ottawa City Council in the new council term. Became official today that you could try and run for Councilor, announce you're running. I know people had said that they would before, but today was the first day you actually could. But before that, I want to stick on this carbon tax theme. Yesterday at Finance Committee, no, sorry, not Finance Committee, the Status of Women Committee. Status of Women Committee's meeting, and Finance Minister Bill Morneau is there. Now, you know how important gender is to this government. Gender-based analysis. Everything must be studied through a gender lens. We need to know how legislation, how actions will affect women as compared to men because it's so vastly different. I mean, women are exactly the same except when we say they're very different. Always keep up with that poker, right? There's no difference between women and men until they tell us there is, in which case there is until they tell us there isn't. Clear? So they promise a gender-based analysis of all legislation, all government actions. They'll do a full study on it with a gender lens. Michelle Rempel shows up. She's not asking about immigration this time. She wants to know if the Trudeau-Morno carbon tax is sexist. What is the relative cost burden of your carbon tax for women as compared to men? Sorry, can you, I didn't hear the beginning of your question. What is the relative cost burden of your carbon tax for women as compared to men? Uh, As you uh, likely know, we believe that uh, for our economy to be successful over the long term, we uh, we need so, to make sure that we're considering now, also since the you've environmental got to leave, challenges. Since you've got to leave, I'll just ask, has a gender-based analysis been completed for the carbon tax? Again, what I, where I was getting to is that we believe a carbon pricing approach is important, and we've also said that we need uh, to find a way to uh, move that revenue back to the provinces. So, so has, a, uh, has a gender-based analysis been completed for the carbon tax? As a revenue-neutral measure, uh, you'll understand that uh, we see this as something that's important for the long-term health of our environment so and our has, economy. So has a gender-based analysis been completed for the carbon tax? And as I mentioned, this is a revenue-neutral measure that we uh, see will help our environment okay. over the long well, term I'll ask and this enable a different our economy way. to be... I'm going to keep playing this in a second, but I had to pause there. You notice that these guys have promised five ways from Sunday. Ladies, you're important to them. They mentioned you and your gender 359 times in the budget. Every piece of legislation, every government action must be considered in this format. And he's got a woman questioning him, and he clearly doesn't like it. You should see his face. And he keeps being asked, 
Have you done a gender-based analysis? Have you studied how it will impact women compared to men? He just keeps saying how important a price on carbon is, which was not the question. So again, Michelle Rampel asking the same question a different way. Um, you know, you've, you've talked about the wage gap and these different things. Um, did you do any modeling? Is the price elasticity, price elasticity of the consumption of carbon the same for women as it is for men in Canada? As I've said, uh, we uh, we believe that carbon pricing is important. We also believe but that this you revenue, also say on page two nineteen of the budget. Approach you've is, also said uh, on page two nineteen to do it no. properly. So you've also said on page 219 of the budget that you're putting in place a gender results framework, which is a whole-of-government tool. So has that tool not been applied to the carbon tax? And again, I'll repeat, uh, in putting in price carbon pricing, we know it'll have a long-term positive impact on the environment. So it has been done. For everyone. So and uh, it will have an impact, of course, that from the federal government standpoint is revenue should, neutral. Could you table the gender-based analysis for the carbon tax with this committee? I'll just repeat again. So the, it hasn't been done? I will repeat again that carbon pricing from the federal government standpoint is a revenue neutral measure that will so, over the so long then term you, you encourage behaviors can, that will help the environment so, for all so you Canadians. So can, you can table the gender-based analysis for the carbon tax with this committee? What I will tell you is that the approach that we've taken is one that will enable I'll all Canadians as, to be... I'll take that as a code for no. Oh, man, you should see Morno's face during all of this. I'll post this up later tonight or early tomorrow morning on brianlilly.com. You've got to see this one. Uh, just, your jaw's going to drop. That's all I can say. Official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just for you guys on TSN 1200, Guy and his uh, entire staff are returning next season. Uh, we look forward to continuing the process that we started last year and to uh, seeing a great improvement in our team in the upcoming season. Sends GM Pierre Dorian. He just told it to the guys at TSN 1200. They weren't supposed to walk across the hall and tell us here at News Talk 580 CFRA that Guy Boucher is going to be the Senator's coach again next season, but uh, they did, or we spotted it, or what have you. You know, word gets out. He told the radio station with tens of thousands of people listening what was going on, and now we're broadcasting it. I, good Good thing? I think so. Look, um, I don't know about you, Elsie. I don't think you could blame this season all on Guy Boucher. They had a great run last year in his first full season as coach. Um, He obviously has talent. He's taken teams deep into the playoffs more than once. And Mm -hmm. this is a guy that can get results. But for whatever reason, nothing went right for the team last year, last season. Yeah, and they and they dealt with some injuries. I remember a time where Mark Borowiecki and Chris Weidman, uh, two of their defensemen, both went down at around the same time due to injuries, and that kind of was the beginning of the end, if you will, as well. And the beginning of the beginning, as uh, Dorian mentioned in another clip, you know, it just the season started off bad and went from there. Clark MacArthur not even able to mm-hmm. pass his physical. 
Yeah, uh, although he does say that next year, even though there's no changes to the coaching staff, there is going to be changes to an extent. He's taken ownership of the power play. He will be running the power play next year. Um, Marty Raymond and Rob Cookson will switch roles as far as Rob will be on the bench and Marty will be the eye in the sky. Uh, with Guy handling the power play, uh, we know we have Mark Crawford uh, that can handle a bit more five-on-five duties in preparation. Now, it should be noted that uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who uh, had a great year uh, the year before, missed the playoffs this year. They kept their head coach, Todd McClellan, but they canned two of their assistants. And the Montreal Canadiens, in the same position, kept their head coach, Claude Julien, but also fired two assistants. So if the Sens get off to a not-so-good start, immediately I think Guy Boucher and company are in the hot seat again. What do you expect from the team? I mean, they... They finished, what, third or fourth from the bottom this year after finishing near the top last year. I think they can bounce back. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were this past season, and I certainly think uh, their goaltending, uh, if their goaltending's good, I, I think they're back to being a wild card team again, but I don't expect them to be as bad as they were. Their power play needs to be better. Uh, special teams, their penalty kill uh, has got to improve as well. But I, 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 I think this team is too good to be this bad. And I do think Pierre Dorian, to an extent, is right. Um, this year will be better. All right. Well, let's hope so. Do you have any more news for me out of, uh, out of Sen's world before I move on? Well, the one change that they did make is they actually parted ways with their AHL coach, uh, Kirk Kleinendorf. So other than that, not really. Okay. Uh we can wait until September, I guess. September's uh, mid-September is when the season kicks off, right? Yeah, I, I think the next time we're going to really hear from guys like Pierre Dorian are are going to be uh, on draft day uh, on June 22nd. And speaking of which, he was actually asked about that, which guy they were going to take. He wasn't committal to anyone. He, he said it wasn't a no-brainer who they were going to pick. But uh, to quote uh, Pierre Dorian, he's going to take the best player available. Regardless of position, the best player that's there, they're picking him. All right. Um, you know, I said I'd give you a list of people that we know are running for Ottawa City Council. So I don't, I don't have a ton of names for you, but here's what I do have. Tammy Lynch is running. She's running in Innis Ward to replace Jody Minnick, who announced a little while ago that he will not seek re-election. Tammy works in Jody's office. She's on a leave of absence while she runs. John Reddens, a guy that I've you know had following me for years on Twitter, has announced that he is going to be seeking a council seat in Alta Vista. It was formerly a federal Green candidate and part of their um, electoral district association. He's now seeking the council seat for Alta Vista Ward. Teresa Cavanaugh is seeking a seat. She is running in Bay Ward. Uh, so Teresa Cavanaugh with a K. I actually don't know much about her. Let's see. Uh, what can I tell you about her? Um, okay, it is the Teresa Cavanaugh I was thinking of. She's uh, an Ottawa Catholic uh, or uh, Ottawa um, Carleton District School Board trustee for the area. Now she's running for Bay Ward. Um, she does triathlons. Oh, okay. That's impressive. Jan Harder seeking re-election and told that uh, Raylene... Lang Dion will file a nomination also for the council seat in Alta Vista. Hearing of uh, people that will challenge 
Diane Deans in Gloucester Southgate. And that's about all that I've got on that so far. No one challenging Mayor Jim Watson. Do you have thoughts on Ottawa City Council municipal politics? You know the numbers, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. Want to find out your thoughts on a couple of national issues as well, national issues that we've been talking a lot about, including the fact that we could be having changes to the Safe Third Countries Agreement. Ralph Goodale admitting that they're in exploratory talks with the Americans to change the Safe Third Countries Agreement to deal with the influx of illegal immigrants from the United States. It's a discussion that we're having uh, with the Americans about uh, the various uh, techniques that, uh, that, that, that could be pursued on both sides of the border to, to ensure uh, security and integrity. One of the techniques that could be used, changing having the Americans change the way they give out uh, the visas to certain foreign nationals. Why? Because right now people are landing in New York and taking a bus directly to the border. The Americans know it. We all know it. Something's got to give. Now, some people say, oh, they're they're not illegal, Brian. Let me read to you from the sign. It says, at the border, at the illegal crossing, they've erected a sign that says, stop. It is illegal to cross the border here or any place other than a port of entry. You will be arrested and detained if you cross here. And yet we keep being told, eh, you know, it's uh, it's not illegal. They're not illegals. They're assignment, asylum uh, claimants. They also have a sign up in English and French saying, notice, claiming refugee status in Canada. Don't be a victim of misinformation. Private individuals and organizations in your community may be providing false or misleading information on claiming asylum in Canada. Not everyone is eligible to make an asylum claim. Claiming asylum is not a ticket into Canada. There are specific requirements to be considered a refugee. If you do not meet them, you will be asked to leave or be removed to your country of origin. But the leftist activists keep saying, it's not illegal. It's not illegal at all. Except for the giant sign that says, stop, it's illegal. And the Mountie saying, stop, if you keep coming forward, you'll be arrested. But other than that, not illegal. I think it's a good thing they're looking at changing it, although they would not really admit to that in question period today. The other thing I'd like to know about from you federally is the carbon tax. We talked a lot about the carbon tax tonight. Dr. Tim Ball saying, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not going to meet their goals, and it wouldn't change anything if we did. Chris Sims saying this idea that we are just uh, going to adopt BC's revenue-neutral carbon tax is a myth. Why? Because the BC carbon tax is not revenue-neutral. Unless you paying a tax and a film producer getting a a, a credit makes you think it's revenue-neutral. Maybe for the government, not for you. You're paying for a carbon tax so somebody can get a film production tax credit to shoot Deadpool in Vancouver. 
How'd you like them apples? We'll be paying here in Ottawa for Hollywood stars to go to Toronto and shoot movies. How'd you like them apples? I tell you, I don't. But I love Michelle Rempel pushing the finance minister on whether the carbon tax is sexist. I would beg to argue that the climate, that the carbon tax is sexist. Do you have any evidence to prove otherwise with your gender budget? As I've said, mm. the federal carbon pricing is one that's revenue neutral from the federal government. Uh, so how can it be revenue neutral behaviors. for women if you haven't done a gender budget for it? I can just tell you that we've put in place a measure that will allow us to return those revenues to the province. So you are saying you're actively pursuing a sexist carbon tax? Well, no, I'm not. So Uh, then why haven't you done a gender-based analysis for it? I can just repeat what I've said, and that is... I love that she's using his own words, their own ideas on them. Do you have thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. The email address, beyondthenews at cfra.com. You can listen to Be Lil Now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580-CFRA. We've got a, uh, a government that is uh, not dealing with the Safe Third Country Act properly. We've got a government that's not dealing with carbon pricing properly. In, in fact, we've got a government that won't tell us what it will cost us, but a prime minister that says, well, you've just got to make better choices. I think one of the things we've seen uh, across the country is that the incentives uh, that come from, uh, better, beha- from uh, better choices, uh, making choices to be cleaner and greener, uh, is exactly what we want. When you put a price on what you don't want, which is pollution, you encourage people uh, to uh, make better choices. Better choices, meaning his choices. No wonder Justin and Kathleen Wynne get along so well. Both of them are allergic to the truth. Kathleen Wynne, talking about the school system, here in Ontario, earlier today on Ottawa Now with Evan Solomon, and just feeding you baffle gab and bull crab. That we have put more supports in place for masks. We get that. We understand that there's more that we need to do. And, you know, if what we have done, we measure in a couple of years and see the impact of that, uh, I hope we see an increase. If not, then there will be more that we need to do. But I, and I understand that that's a challenge, but the, I also know that our kids go on to college and university and they compete at the very highest levels internationally. And if you look globally in terms of language, science, and math, kids at our high school level do very, very well. So, yes, we, we have some work to do with uh, kids in the, the grade six year for sure, but that doesn't negate all of the other positive things that have happened in our education okay. system, in our healthcare system. She has uh, uh, adopted a horrific and disastrous math program, math curriculum, and rather than replacing it with one that works, that's proven to work, she's sticking with the bad one. 
in just adding more time. It's like the person where you say, I don't understand you, and they just talk louder. That's what's going on with Kathleen Wynne when it comes to the math curriculum. It's one of the many reasons she's got to go. Half of students in grade six can't meet the provincial standard, which isn't even 100%. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Dave, you're on Beyond the News, Dave. Hi there. Uh, before I get to Kathleen Wynne's grade six problem, um, the borders, I agree, just say anywhere outside of even the regular channels is illegal, and that's it. I mean, you're going to pick, cherry-pick and block off rocks and road, then you've got to block off somebody's field in uh, Manitoba. Then what do you do about the ones who get in a little boat and cruise up from Seattle to Vancouver? Coming in illegally is coming in illegally. No safe third-country rules, period, no matter which route you're taking in. End of discussion. You know, I, I think that's the way it should be. Uh, I, I can tell you what Ralph Goodale thinks of that. Here's what he said. That would actually be counterproductive to get to Canada's interest. Uh-huh. How, I don't how, know how. how. Yeah. I don't know how. No, the, the carbon tax and, and the, both Michelle Rempel's and uh, Polyev's uh, insistence on an answer, they ain't getting answers because there are no answers. And if there are answers, they're not the ones we want to hear. Period. Kathleen Wynne, um, do you think that there's anything in her record that would recommend her for re-election? No, let's get to, to Kathleen Wynne, not to mention her name, though. She talked about she'll have to fix the grade 6 problem. Well, who says it's a grade 6 problem? Maybe it's a grade 5 and a 4 and a 3 and a 2 and all the things they did up to by the time we get to grade 6. You can six. count backwards, Dave? Yes, I well, can. Well, you didn't go to school in Ontario then. No, no, no. I got a real education. <laughs> <laughs> man alive yeah no you're right it's it's not just a grade six problem it's all the years leading up to grade six the the math program that they have adopted in ontario is a proven failure and it doesn't just suddenly appear in grade six yeah they have been uh, told to fix it and she would rather stick with uh, her failed ideology then admit she's made a mistake. In one of my previous incarnations, I was a school teacher. I hold a Bachelor of Arts Education degree from Newfoundland's University, which is a conjoint degree. It's not a Bachelor of Arts where you take three years of an arts degree and then do your teacher's college. It's a full education degree and, and passed with honors. So she's not going to baffle gab me about what she thinks is, is the right way to do things in the wrong way. Even though my education is maybe 40 years old, it's still a good education, and I still know what I'm talking about. Well, and people that learned math 40 years ago will still know how to do it. Um, we probably know how to do it better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've got four kids. Their math problems have always uh, left me baffled. Not because I don't understand math. I don't know how they're doing things. But you know that you've got four kids because you don't know how to count them the old-fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I've got that many uh, digits that I can count them on. But the, um, you know, the, thankfully there's one of them that knows math really well. Uh, well I guess two. Um, but uh, the, um, you know, trying to go over their math problems. And, and the other thing is parents trying to help kids uh, – I don't know about other parents, but my kids regularly don't have textbooks. So how do you how do you say okay? Um, you, know, you don't understand this printout. Where is the portion in the textbook that we can look to to see how you're supposed to do this? Mm. Oh, we don't have a textbook. 
So you're just yeah. supposed to go off some printout the teacher gave you. It's, yeah. it's a horrible it, way to learn. The, the whole situation is horrible. And the thing is, people are looking at, again, back to Polyev and, and Michelle Rempel, people are looking and saying, all oh, these bad people, why are they picking on poor uh, Trudeau and, and, and poor McKenna? But, you know, they just keep dogging and dogging and dogging at them. Leave the poor people alone. Uh, I'm sorry, but the situation is they deserve to be uh, challenged over and over again when they refuse to give an answer. Now, before I go on, I say one more thing. And I've heard you say, well, you know, um, John Fraser really, really basically is a nice guy. And, you know, yeah, he still deserves to be defeated. Yeah. And, and uh, 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 McGinty is, is a nice guy, the federal one. And, uh, you know, maybe they are. Maybe they got kids in school and school hockey programs and after-school programs. Maybe they interact with some of our kids. Of course, the higher-up ones, of course, you know, the, the socially acceptable ones, whatever. But, you know, they're basically good people. Well, I, back to my education, I don't recall in psychology spending a lot of time studying selective stupidity. Either you're stupid or you're not. So how can they be so really wonderful and great people just like me and you and when it comes to the things that count when they're doing their job they haven't got a freaking clue uh, the saying is not evil dave they're not evil they're wrong gotta run okay, thanks bye-bye. for the call uh frank you're on beyond the news go frank yeah, i'm talking about carbon tax like no doubt like uh, you know all the, the pollution and it's a man-made mess like uh, it's, it's a hard thing to clean up you know like it takes a uh, you no, know, in the water or whatnot, and you know, within uh, you know what uh, substances you make, you want a finished product. But then there's uh, there's uh, garbage that comes into the end, right? So then you uh, have to charge for that. Okay, there's no doubt. Doesn't matter if you're conservative. But car- carbon dioxide's not a pollution. Well, that it's comes vital into to the air. it's vital to Earth. Yeah, but that goes into the, the atmosphere, and it's right? absorbed by plants. It's plant food. And uh, so then that's, uh, that absorbs, like, all the pollution, like trees. But carbon say. dioxide is not pollution, Frank. I know they keep saying that and people believe yeah. it, but it is not pollution. It is vital to life. You need like, it to breathe. The plants need it to grow. The water needs it to be healthy. Okay, Brian, let's, okay, carbon monoxide, what is that? That's poison, not, that's not but that's not what they're trying to regulate. Yeah. So we do have to clean up our atmosphere, see, like the ozone and uh, okay, whatnot. But, but Frank, you're you're off the mark here. They're trying okay. to tell you that we need to clean up for something that if we didn't have it, all the plants would die. Yeah. And, and that's well, not a disputable fact. All the plants would die. Well, that wouldn't be good, wouldn't it? No. All right. Thanks for the call, yeah, Frank. Take care, bye. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So far, only one recommendation for who should run against Jim Watson. It comes from Michelle, 
who says, it's a shame that no one's challenging Jimmy. It keeps democracy interesting. Plus, a change is better than a rest. I think you, Brian, could do both. Also, you would probably be the only mayor with his own radio program. Brian for mayor. I don't see a groundswell of support there, Michelle. Is there a draft B-Lil campaign in the works? Not that I've heard of. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. I think I've got a couple more emails in, but it turns out that I've magically unplugged my mouse and have to get under my desk and plug it back in. So, um, yeah, before I can play clips for you or read any other emails, that's what I have to do. But 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you have thoughts on who should be running for mayor or council? Do you have names to recommend? Are you happy with the incumbents that you have, either as your local counselor or as mayor? As Jim Watson says, he's not setting the world on fire with his personality. What well, What about you? Do you like Jim steady as you go? Do you hate it? Where do you stand? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. And what are your thoughts on Justin Trudeau and Catherine McKenna? refusing to answer basic questions about their carbon tax, but telling us to make better choices. Because that's what they were on at today. That's the exact thing that they were on at today. Stefan, you're on Beyond the News. Hi there, Brian. First thing, I just want to say that uh, Michelle Rumpel was brilliant on, on turning the tables on the liberals. With the, <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant. It was a bit of judo, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. There should be more of that kind of stuff. Keep turning hey. the tables on there. Yeah, she's using their own words, their own yeah. thoughts against them. Yeah, exactly. And they should keep keep that up. What are your thoughts on on McKenna not being able to answer? I mean, well, I mean, really, the question was for Morneau. What's it going? What's this going to cost? We know they've done the analysis. Oh, I know they're they're hiding it because they don't want us to know the real truth of what it's really going to cost us. And my thought on her saying that but they take up her children really. Honestly, like we're thinking of the children in the way that families need to make sure that they have a budget to be able to pay for the, make sure they have roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their backs. She doesn't have to worry about her children on that part of it because she's going to make sure she's protected her, her own financial means to make sure her kids are protected financially. Yeah, well. So she's completely out of touch on that. I, I would agree with that. She, um, and I think in invoking, uh, your children as a defense for a, a government policy, it, it can be cheap. I'm not saying it should never be done, but if that is the entirety of your defense of the government policy, then that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks for the call, Stefan. No problem. 521-TALK, 521-8255. I want to play a little bit more of the exchange between Pierre Polyev and Catherine McKenna, because at one point she got pretty childish in the House of Commons. Uh, let's see if I'm at the right spot here. Order, I remind the Honorable Minister of Environment to direct her comments to the chair when we say you in here are talking about the Speaker, of course. Honorable Member for Carleton. Mr. Speaker, the Environment Minister can't answer the question about how much this tax will cost Canadians. The Finance Minister won't answer the question about how much this will, will cost Canadians. The Prime Minister was unable 
to answer the question. So I'm trying to figure out which of these ministers has the answer. Why don't we just ask them all? How much? 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 Will this carbon tax cost me? The Honourable Minister of Environment. I have a question. Order. What's your climate plan? What's your climate plan? What's your climate plan? What's your climate plan? You know, why didn't she just uh, at the end of that say, lick it, stick it, stamp it. No, t- no, no, t- no hitsy backs. That's a schoolyard taunt that she had. And she's the honorable minister of the environment. She actually gets chastised by the speaker again. Member for Carlton. Well, she should know because she actually followed the conservative targets on climate change. go down at the same time as taxes went down under the previous Conservative government. We save people money while protecting the economy. Now, will they finally answer the question, how much will a Canadian family have to pay for this new Liberal carbon tax? Honourable Minister of Environment. Mr. Speaker, I wish that the party opposite would understand the cost of climate change right now. One of the hardest calls I ever had to do was to a rancher in Alberta whose whole ranch burned down because of forest fires. There are people that are suffering from floods across the country. The Arctic is literally fine, and they think it's a joke. Order. I have no trouble hearing the... And once again, she goes to the idea that wildfires are happening because climate change. Well, why is that happening? Because climate change. Wildfires have been happening on the prairies forever. They've been happening in northern Ontario, northern Quebec, anywhere with forests. It's a natural phenomenon, one that's actually deemed to be good for the environment. It renews the earth. It renews the soil. Now, is it bad if it hits you and your property and your farm or your home? Absolutely. But it's normal. It's natural. She wants to go around claiming that every bad thing that happens is climate change is due to climate change. I remember during last hurricane season, her going on power play with Don Martin saying, well, we're seeing an increase in hurricanes. No, you're not. Well, we're seeing an increase in the severity. No, you're not. Well, there's more water being dumped. Nobody's ever measured that. Give me a break. And we're supposed to follow this woman. We're supposed to follow what she puts forward as an idea. Now, the only thing that they're actually asking is, you've got a plan. What's it going to cost us? 
she attacks them for denying climate change. She attacks them for not caring about the real cost of climate change. How about you just answer the freaking question? You know how much it's going to cost. Heard some interesting comments when I was driving around this afternoon. There was this guy on. This guy. Who was um, just looking for the clips here now. He was a... I'm in the wrong file, am I? Evan Solomon had him on. He was a professor from Harvard who was talking about whether Donald Trump should get the... uh, Here he is, Dr. Timothy McCarthy. Should Donald Trump get the Nobel Peace Prize? The South Korean uh, president... Moon Jae-in has said, yeah, Trump should. He accomplished a lot in getting us together. Dr. Timothy McCarthy from the Harvard Kennedy School and Carr Center for Human Rights. He was on the Evan Solomon Show saying, oh, pass me the smelling salts. Absolutely not. Uh, Let me pull back for a second and say that we have a lot to determine before we can make any claims about who deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. That includes Mr. Kim and Mr. Moon, who, of course, are the principal leaders in question with the warring factions. And so if anyone deserves a Nobel Peace Prize, eventually, if indeed there is a peace on the peninsula, perhaps even a reunification of the peninsula, which is what many North and South Koreans have wanted for many years now, uh, and a full denuclearization of North Korea and of the peninsula more broadly, then certainly we have to uh, understand and mark that as a historic uh, 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 peace pro- process and progress. All right. Well, who's responsible for that? Well, there's going to be many people, but Barack Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize before he did anything. Literally, before he did anything, he was given the Nobel Prize. Hey, Obama, we love him. He's a Democrat. He's a black man from Chicago. He's so progressive. He's wonderful. Give him the prize. What's he done? Nothing. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. Guy lunch five wars. Donald Trump lets North Korea know you threaten people. We'll follow through. He got them to sit down at the peace table. Do you have thoughts on that? And this Again, complete bias. Does Donald Trump deserve the Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, I, I would say not yet, but he might. It might, depending he might, depending on how things go. But the collectivists are losing their little minds over that idea. And speaking of that, there's a... There's a piece in the New York Times for Karl Marx's 200th birthday, which is this Saturday, also happens to be Kentucky Derby Day and Cinco de Mayo. There's a piece in the New York Times praising Marx and uh, his 200th birthday, 
and talking about what we can learn from him. Let me just bring up the the headline of it because it will blow your mind. Happy birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. It is from an associate professor of philosophy named Jason Barker. I think in memory of Karl Marx's 200th birthday, if not tomorrow, one night this week, I should run down all the deaths that communism and its ills are responsible for. Because if you don't know already, it'll blow your socks off. The most brutal, ruthless, and murderous ideology in all of humankind. Communism. Responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people and the oppression of tens of millions more. And you got the New York Times saying, happy birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. Now, he was wrong. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. If you haven't heard already... The Mueller investigation has leaked clips or leaked the questions that the investigator Robert Mueller wants to ask Donald Trump. And this is being portrayed by the media as, oh, look, they've definitely got him now. They leak questions. Now, Dr. McCarthy, Dr. Timothy McCarthy from Harvard's Kennedy School in the Car Center, was asked about this and said, well, it was probably Trump that leaked them. And you won't believe it. He actually claims that the Mueller investigation has been tight-lipped. Well, I think we have to ask uh, who's leaking and why. And I think we have to ask that of both the Mueller side of things and the Trump side of things. And I think that on balance, we've seen that the Mueller investigation has been very uh, tight-lipped and has been quite strategic. And uh, those are all uh, words that uh, none of those words I'd use to describe anything that comes out of the White House. So I think you do have to ask the question about leakage, who's leaking and why, um, whether or not there's a strategy behind it, which there seems to be, or whether or not it's just a, a lack of discipline. You know, I agree with Dr. McCarthy on some things there. Who's leaking and why? Is there a strategy to it? But claiming that the Mueller investigation hasn't leaked, give me a break. You can only say that if you've got your partisan blinders on. It is completely, completely a leak, leaky, leaky ship. I'm thinking the old split end song. I spent six months in a leaky boat when I think of Robert Mueller. This guy leaks everything that will help him. 
It's how he operates, just like his buddy James Comey, at the former FBI head, was illegally leaking information. Illegally leaking information. And when questioned about that in his recent book tour and publicity stunt trip, says, oh, I, I wasn't leaking information. I asked other people to release information. People that shouldn't have the information, which means you gave it to them and asked them to give it to people that would help you. This Mueller investigation is looking into everything but Russia and collusion. This is why these special investigations, Republicans and Democrats, should both be opposed to them, just like I'm opposed to public inquiries in this country. Oh, we need a public inquiry. We need a judicial inquiry to get to the bottom of this. No, it never gets to the bottom of anything. It takes years to accomplish. It costs millions of dollars. We find out mostly what we already knew, and then a report is filed, sits and gathers dust on a shelf. Any wrongdoing discovered cannot be used to criminally prosecute anyone. That's how our judicial and public inquiries work in this country. In the States, they will lead to charges, but you bring in these special counsels, and they start investigating a land deal, and then they go for a blue dress. That's what happened to Bill Clinton. With Donald Trump, you're investigating Russia collusion. All of a sudden, you're investigating also what he did with a porn star. I even hate the term porn star. I'd never heard of Stormy Daniels before. How are you a porn star? Although I was looking at the top 50 websites in Pornhub.com, top 50 websites in Canada, Pornhub.com is definitely up there. Um, it's more popular than our state broadcaster, which is interesting. But that doesn't mean that she's a porn star. Had you heard her name before the allegations against Trump? I know I hadn't. And now she's back to making porn. Yeah. She's got a new porn movie out. Yay. And this is the person that's being held up as the paragon of virtue to take down Donald Trump. Look, I admit it's a swamp. I admit there's problems all around. Don't hold one side up. And that includes Robert Mueller. His proposed question should make Donald Trump very nervous, says CNN, and just about every other media now, Michael, outlet um, in the world. Zeldin Let Earl. me just pause that. Um Trying to find the list of questions here. I, I, yeah, I had them earlier. Yeah, he's going well beyond his mandate. And that's what these things do. They go well beyond their mandate. George in the prior, last word on the show to you tonight. You were talking about nobody talking about the dumping of water in Hawaii just the other day. Dumping of water? I, I wasn't talking about any such thing. Yes, well, you were talking about the weather stuff. Dumping of water. You brought up, they brought a dump of water, meaning talking about the rain. Okay. talking about it. Well, just just the, the other few days ago, they had a big dump of rain in Hawaii, which was supposed to be a world record for one day in one an area of Hawaii. And the uh, is that I, climate change, George? The only uh, the uh, sunlight has changed so that the UV level is higher, which means more water evaporation, and the and then and the sun output is dropping. Which means more cosmic rays gets gets through the around the around the aura of the sun, which which means that the uh, more rain and more clouds appear in the atmosphere, and a bunch of more stuff like that goes on. 
And also, the, the dumping of water is also discussed by the WebBot. George, last night you claimed that there are several ways to turn lead into gold. So I'm not sure how much to take of no, what well, you're saying they're, they're, is serious. You, you can't actually do it by using uh, uh, those, you know, those, what do you call those people that are over in uh, uh, India there, those mystics? If they could, they'd be wealthy, wealthy people. You no, know, there's problems with like everything else. It does not, not that doesn't necessarily remain stable long enough to make any money out of it. The goal has some problems when you do it that way. And many uh, of the well, the fact that you're still claiming you can turn lead into gold makes me uh, believe that uh, I should take what you're saying on the weather front. If you no, if you with a grain the, or a bucket of salt. If you check the history of that, you'd find there was one case. Where they actually have a piece of metal that, uh, that transits, trans, transvests from silver to gold, but uh, but it was, yeah. it was converted. And wow! Was, now uh, now I'm singing that song from the uh, the Santa Claus special. You have to Our, go into history, check up some of this stuff. Thanks for the call, George. Okay, bye. All right, gold and lead. I shot another episode of Between Brian and Dave today. And uh, we will be launching, I, I promise, we will be launching shortly, just some technical delays. But you can subscribe to the email list. Be, between Brian and Dave.com is the website for that. Or you can go to brianlilly.com, sign up for my own personal uh, email list. Keep you updated on that and all the stories that are going on. A little quiet on the website today. Had a very busy day. But back at it again tomorrow with more of what you will hear on... The show, what you won't hear anywhere else, and what you need to hear, read, and share. Make sure that you're out there sharing this stuff. Twitter, Facebook, email, printing it off, posting it in the lunchroom, whatever you got to do. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.